What's on your mind? Or all of your minds? Uh, well, we've been talking and arguing. Uh, we want to go to the Federation. The Federation? Can't we just enjoy our freedom a bit? We just got away. And barely escaped with our lives. The Diviner is still out there. And we can't expect that protodrive to save our hides if it ain't even working. I'm scared, Dal. Maybe they can help us. Maybe. Or maybe they'll arrest us for stealing a Starfleet ship. Ah, don't feed us that mud slop. We're refugees. They gotta understand. So, you all wanna go, even if your captain's completely against it. Uh-uh-uh. Self-appointed captain. Aside from you, it is unanimous. Oh. Uh, nah, -uh. we haven't heard from Murph yet. Hey, uh, where is Murph? Welcome to Strange New Takes. Uh, let me do that again. More of practice. Hello and welcome to Strange New Takes. I'm your host, Natch Karnik, and with me using sound clips from previous podcast episodes are... Adam Bowen. Emily Bowen-Marler. And Rudika Baker. <laughs> so, welcome to Strange New Takes today. And uh, this is going to be a bit of a twisty introduction, but uh, welcome to the sixth episode of the first season, the second part of the first season of Prodigy called Kobayashi, which interestingly, interestingly bears similarity to the pilot of the fourth season of Discovery called Kobayashi Maru. I can't, <laughs> I can't find the connect. I actually don't remember um, the first episode of uh, the, the fourth season of Discovery, but maybe we'll get into that at some point. <laughs> Blocked it out of our memories. I was going to say, y'all hated it. <laughs> oh, that one. That one. <laughs> I didn't hate it for the record, but I wasn't on that episode of the podcast. So uh, be sure to follow us on social media at Strange New Takes, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And hey, tell your friends about us and give us five-star rating on Apple Podcasts because that will help other people learn about us too. Uh, and... Right out the gate, we're going to be spoiling this episode, and this episode references a bazillion other episodes. So we're probably going to spoil those too. Uh, and yeah, so uh, join us if you have watched the episode. If you don't care about spoilers, I don't know who you are. Uh, but yeah, just join us. We'll have fun. All right. Well, as Rudy mentioned before, today we're going to cover the sixth episode of the first season of Star Trek Prodigy. It's called Kobayashi. It first aired on 6th January 2022. It's written by Aaron J. Waltke. And it's directed by Alan Wan. Uh, Aaron J. Waltke, who has a Reddit account and posted in the R Star Trek episode discussion thread. Uh, and I, I left him a very nice piece of kudos uh, there. Uh, so and I suggest if you're a Redditor or if you have ways to communicate with the Prodigy crew, unless you have opinions that I'm that are wholly unexpected for me, uh, you leave him a nice comment too, but we'll, we'll see how things go when we do our ratings later. Anyway, the, the summary from Memory Alpha is this. As Gwyn struggles to find her role aboard the USS Protostar, Dal tests his leadership skills in the newly discovered holodeck. We always start our discussions with our strange new takes, 
And uh, this week, I'm gonna I'm gonna go first because I, I feel like it. Bill has talked previously about a book he's reading named uh, Project Hail Mary, and I took Bill's advice from this podcast and, he, and was like, I'm gonna listen to this book. And the really interesting thing over there is that this number one, he's right. This book is a once in a lifetime sci-fi book. Read it, make sure you get it. But the really interesting thing is, um, crap, this is going to be a spoiler if I tell you exactly what it is. <laughs> um, but in the audiobook, A, the narrator is really good. And they have, this is the first audiobook I have heard where they use interesting external sound effects. So it's not like atmospheric stuff. Like you, like there's a Dune audiobook where you have like wind whistling by and all this other stuff in the background. But here they actually use audio production techniques for parts, for a pretty integral part of the production instead of just reading what's on the page. Basically mm -hmm. what's on the page is translated into sound. And if I say any more, it's going to be a gigantic spoiler for the middle of the book. So I'm not going to do that. But just... I strongly, strongly recommend listening to the audiobook version of this because actually, in my opinion, it is more immersive than the book version of Project Hail Mary. So, but mm. again, just strongly recommend reading it. It's written by Andy Veer, the same guy who wrote The Martian. Um, if, oh, you, cool. if you're like me and you don't like some of his previous books, this one you will like for sure. So anyway, um, and I will put my episode Strange New Take just simply that I was moved to tears of joy multiple times in this episode like and the first time that happened was when the team started it is so good it's so good it's so good i upgraded my sound system and so it was like for my tv and so it was just hitting me on all chords and when it came back i was so happy it is definitely a theme i will never skip ever yeah like it is so good yeah <laughs> Have you listened to the, did any of you buy the soundtrack or get no. the soundtrack? Oh, that, did, that didn't occur to me. Oh, get it. It's <laughs> actually, the theme is longer on the um, album and the first part of it is totally, it's not this, like so the first part of it is not what we hear on the podcast or on the podcast, on the episode. So anyway, okay. it's just interesting because I was listening to him like, what, wait, what is this? This is not. This is not the Prodigy theme. This is why I got this album. And then, you know. Anyway, I, I demand a seven-minute title sequence well, for yeah, this yeah, show. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because not only is it one of the best themes, it's also one of the most gorgeous title sequences. And they go together just so beautifully. It's yeah, on Spotify, by the way, the album. So, ah, can, cool. Nice. Um, so, my strange new take in life is there's something very satisfying about peeling off the glue layer of wallpaper. So we have some rooms in our house with wallpaper. I am not a wallpaper fan. Um, so I have to remove the wallpaper and there's two layers of wallpaper in all of these rooms, which is a big pain, but it's too expensive for me to pay someone to do this. So we decided in our bathroom, we're just going to take the top layer off, which is an easier layer to take off because it's not stuck to the drywall. So we peel the top layer off and then we spray the water and then we can just scrape the glue part off. It's very satisfying. It's kind of like mowing. I don't know if any of you like mowing, like the lines. It's very clear the progress you're making. I like I like jobs like that where you can see what you have accomplished and you can see what you have left to do and it's very clear. 
because that's just not true in life all the time. Um, but yeah, so there's my strange new take in life. My strange new take for the episode is it was just such a nice love letter to those who have gone before us. But I also really appreciated um, Kate Mulgrew did a little video on Instagram um, and she said an amazing episode and a true love letter to Starfleet, especially those we've lost. A Trek salute to Leonard, James and Renee and the departed Aaron Eisenberg, whose birthday is today for embodying Starfleet's finest. So the episode came out, I think, on Aaron Eisenberg's birthday. So I just thought that was really nice, too. And I wanted to give a shout out to him as well. Yeah, I for for my strange new take for the world. Uh, uh, you know what? Uh, it's uh, okay. So it has been extremely cold uh, here in St. Louis. Uh, at least strangely, extremely cold for St. Louis. Uh, I know uh, Notch over here is uh, probably laughing at me from. <laughs> what no, I no, I just, just it, it, I'm agreeing with you. It is cold. Yes, yes, it it is it is very cold, and the um. I had to bring my chickens inside, and for the first day, uh, they hated it. Uh, I probably, I probably should have left them outside for a little bit so that they would come to appreciate how warm <laughs> it was in the house. But I didn't do that. The second day, though, they just kind of went into like vacation mode, or maybe they <laughs> forgot the outside existed. I'm not sure, uh, but they just. They no more screaming, just like sitting contentedly uh, in the little kennel in the basement. And were they drinking mai tais with the little umbrellas? In <laughs> they they should have been. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it it turned out well for them. For for the episode, um, I'm really glad that it wasn't that they secretly left Murph like on an ice planet, and that it was just the holodeck. I had a, a slight <laughs> bit of fear too. of like, wait. What? How did you do this? <laughs> yeah, it kind of gets you for a half a second, right? Just about. Um, well, I'm going to... I have a couple of strange new takes um, and then one for the episode. I'm going to build off of yours, uh, Emily. If only Mr. Miyagi had explained wax on and wax off as you did, um, <laughs> uh, you know, therapeutically, maybe... Uh, I don't know, maybe that would have gone badly and we would have never had the Karate Kid series and um, <laughs> no uh, Cobra Kai, right? So, um, yeah, that's interesting. The other one was, um, we talked about this uh, the last time, James Webb finally made it to space. Not him, mm -hmm. the telescope did. Yes. And, <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's as of, I think, this weekend sometime, um, it is fully unfurled or deployed, still making its way to its um, its final resting place, um, but no glitches as such uh, in terms of uh, the mechanical deployment, which is always a thing. Um, yeah, remember I, I've I've been especially with how delayed it's been. I've been worried about like it's gonna blow up when they take it when it takes off, or like <laughs> it's it's like gonna suddenly like not have the ability to take pictures for some reason or yeah, something yeah. like that. <laughs> And, and so, yeah, the, the, there's been glitches with the Hubble. Uh, if people remember yep. the Galileo mission, mm -hmm. the antenna didn't open properly. Um, they had to do all kinds of cool stuff. And this one's also like way beyond um, the Earth region. So it's going to be way harder to fix. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no Armageddon-like mission to go fix it. Um, <laughs> and then my strange new take for this episode, a lot of um, uh, nice track lore, but you know, 
um, cones and discs or discs and cones. I loved seeing that. I just put that in there with no context and you're like, oh, what's that? So yeah, let's talk about that sometime. <laughs> all right. All right. Will do. Uh, maybe we can we can just start by about the story and writing with the fact that this episode picks up right where the previous one ends, which is pretty rare in Star Trek. Like we don't usually see like, a, I mean, you could put the two scenes together mm-hmm. and it'll be a pretty seamless uh, transition. And the thing here I wanted to start us talking about is the map that uh, is on the screen where Janeway is like, let's see how far the ship has gone, has got two notations that if you blink and you'll miss it, one on the top right says Delta Quadrant, which yep. is what she references, and the one on the top left says Gamma Quadrant. So yeah. they are now oh. in the Gamma Quadrant. Um, and if you remember your Star Trek um, geography, uh, I, I don't know how any of you would be able to forget it, you will know, remember, that the Dominion are in the Gamma Quadrant. They're in the upper, like, left-hand... So, you know, you got your Gamma Quadrant on the upper left-hand side, the Delta Quadrant on the upper right-hand side, if you if you separate your uh, sheet of paper into four parts, quadrants. Mm-hmm. The, the, the Dominion are towards the upper left-hand kind of pie-crust area of the Gamma Quadrant, or of, of the galaxy. And... My suspicion is that this ship has gone from the edge of the Delta Quadrant into the edge of the Gamma Quadrant. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're probably quite a bit further from Dominion space. But this does open up the possibility the Protostar could make its way to the Bajoran wormhole in the Gamma Quadrant as a way to get back to Federation space instead of flying. Oh, all... oh interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So... So yeah, I I wanted to kind of just throw that out there and get your reaction to those bits of information. This is such a Stellaris map out there. Um, <laughs> the game. Um, I mean, I guess our listeners can't see it, but just imagine a Stellaris map with these color sections. Uh, yeah, it's it's tracking the path of like the location and the path of the protostars has been something of interest even in the first first few episodes i i totally missed the the gamma call out i was like i was trying to draw like a 4000 light year radius around like the center of um like the the the, the bottom center of the the delta quadrant um mm-hmm. but I, I think i i agree with you right like they, they haven't encountered the borgs so it could not have been in that part of of the Delta Quadrant. Um, and and just, just as a reference point for Rudy Singh, because again, you all haven't seen the map, yeah, the Borg yeah. are in kind of the central section. Like, again, if you separate your, your paper with like a big plus sign into four, the Borg are kind of towards the top, a little justified towards the right, so that you're in the like top, but a little bit to the center right of the galaxy, basically. that's So, so they're on the edge of the Delta Quadrant, basically. One o'clock on a clock. There you go. Well, and I was thinking, I mean, they had to be fairly close to the border between the, not close, but, you know, relatively, uh, between the Gamma Quadrant and the Delta Quadrant, just because 4,000 light years, you know, like, so that's not, well, I guess, although I guess Voyager was 70,000 light years, but they would have had to have gone 
all the way around because you can't go through the center of the galaxy. Oh yeah, you you. Well, I, so we we killed God though. So so can <laughs> can we go to the center yeah, now? I was gonna say. <laughs> What does God need with a starship? <laughs> Maybe that's who. Uh, that's why he needs the the protostar. Is that uh, he he wants to go meet God so that uh, God will make it so that there can be more Val Nakat. There you go. There you go. Well, you know, it's so interesting. I don't even know how I knew that. Like the Romulans and the Klingons are in the Beta Quadrant. I mean, I knew that, but I don't know how I knew that. I'm trying to remember if that's something that they talk about in Star Trek or did, is that like something outside of like actual yeah, episodes that yeah, someone lined out? You and I have read a, or... a lot of uh, like Star Trek uh, novels and whatnot. So it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's hard to separate sometimes like which yeah. things are actually part of canon and which are not. Yeah. So the ship went 4,000 light years in a single burst. Um, that's kind of, uh, I think in the lingo of the, the TikToks, it's OP technology. Uh, <laughs> so if they produce a drive that can do that routinely and uh, and um, safely, you can zoom to like other galaxies <laughs> pretty well, quickly. It, but part of the problem is so the ship is now powered down and the drive is inoperable. So it's possible that they need either more fuel or maybe it uh, like it can make these uh, super fast jumps but uh, needs to have some sort of recharging time, which might uh, limit its uh, a true distance that it can go. All I'm going to say is I'm really glad that it isn't powered by mushrooms and we haven't got a second spore drive <laughs> <laughs> issue. And we've introduced another, like, you know, cannon-breaking device that we've got to, like, find a creative way of explaining why it doesn't exist. Because, again, this drive doesn't exist in the burn times, right? Like, because... yeah. Presumably doesn't need dilithium if you've got a baby star in there or, you know, or maybe it's like to use the baby stars, you need even more dilithium. I don't know. There's ways of explaining it. I'm, I trust the writers of this show implicitly based on everything they've done so far. So I, I am 100% okay with it. I just wanted to just kind of have a little bit of poke, a little bit of fun, though, because seriously, Voyager could have got back in like two days. <laughs> you know, Jamie oh, yeah, would have yeah. been like those Maquis, you know, what do we do with them? Uh, you know. Uh, Harry Kim is like, why don't we make them part of our crew and like have them help us? And Jamie's like, actually, no, we'll be back to a prison in two days. Just put them all in the brig. Like, <laughs> skid them a little food and lock them up. <laughs> Post a well, guard. I, I, I guess there is, it's a little bit unknown, like the actual time that it took for them to travel these 4,000 light years. But I guess from how surprised everyone is, it, it must have, this must have been something that happened like not over the course of seven weeks or something like that. And the interesting thing is, this is a Janeway who we think has the memories of the original Janeway in terms of the quantum slipstream drive and other technologies that did, did mm. move her through, move her ship through large distances of space. I don't, I don't remember the distance. The only one I remember is guess throwing them across what eight thousand light years in Borg space. That's all I. All I know off. I, I feel like they, they kept shaving 10 years off the journey oh, yeah. uh, every every so often. So it, it's possible that one of the drives uh, did something akin to this. But um, and if you look at if you look at general measurements, right, like how 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 long, how, how, how much is it across the entire galaxy? What, 150,000, 150,000, 200,000 light years, right? So for, mm-hmm. in, in that sense, 4,000, unless as Notch said, is at the boundary of quadrants uh, is not 
he's not that much, but yeah, it, 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 well, but yeah, it, I, I mean, in, in Voyager terms, it's, uh, it takes Voyager. Years, I, I think yeah. it's, I think yeah. it's an entire year at uh, some sort of sustainable warp, uh, to yep. do 10,000 light years. So we're, we're way past no, that. No, to I, do 1,000 light years. Because it's they uh, were no, 70, but it was seventy thousand. So yeah, and it was going to take seventy years oh, for them yes. to get back. I can't math. Sorry about that. And you're a math major. <laughs> I was. <laughs> no, you you got thrown off. You got thrown off by seven seasons as opposed to seventy thousand light years. <laughs> one one year <laughs> each season. Um, anyway. Uh, okay. Well, getting away from the math uh, for a second because I'm not. Adam good doesn't at know it. how to do it. Uh, yeah, there we go. <laughs> Getting away from the math uh, to slightly different math for a second. This episode takes place on Stardate 43929.9, which, of course, we all... Or not, not this no, episode. This episode. Flashback. Years ago. It's, it's the flashback from 17 years yeah. ago. is on Stardate 43929.9. And I, as soon as I saw those numbers, I was like... That's 2366. I know how to convert from start dates to years. You just, you know, and the process is pretty simple. You become a writer of Star Trek and you make it, make up whatever year you want to go with whatever start date you want. That's the way you do it. Basically. Uh, and, but anyway, seven. so when the Diviner started looking for the protostar, when the Diviner started creating the progenies, the year 2366, this is the third season of Next Generation chronologically in the Star Trek universe. If we're in the same uh, timeline as TNG, it occurs between the episodes Sarek and Menasha Troy. For those of you who are very precise about when you when this episode takes place, and interestingly, much later when we see Chakotay, he's wearing a uniform that doesn't exist at that point. There's and some time, time, time travel involved here. Yeah, and he's right. a captain. And there's just no way, if this is supposed to take place, is it three years after Voyager gets back to the Alpha Quadrant? It takes Quadrant place in 2383. Um, and I, I I will do some checking on, on Voyager. I think on it's like three years game. after. There's just no way that this ship could have been developed and Chakotay been the captain and ended up in the Delta Quadrant in the three years. Like, I just, th that's too much stuff to have happened. No, no, see Voyager what happened is when they got back, Starfleet, remember those prisons I was talking about a minute ago? Starfleet was like, Chakotay, hey, nice to see you. Here's a prison cell for you. He's like, quick, onto the next ship, back to the Delta <laughs> Quadrant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mean, so, like, it's interesting because I, I, I have some. Like, there is a technicality of he could be looking for a protostar, which is, like, a a, a stellar phenomena that exists. Uh, I, I don't think that that's... I think he is looking for the ship. I think it has gone back in time and, and whatnot. Um, but it'll be it'll be interesting to see what he, what he's wanting to do with, with this ship. Uh, if there's something... Like, maybe the ship has the ability to travel in time, or he needs to get somewhere that is somehow unlocking his ability to save his species, I think. It has to be the latter, right? In some way related to that, right? He's so obsessed about that. We saw that that flashback. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Maybe this he... is the crossover from the Star Wars universe we were looking for. You know, it's, <laughs> it's Sith. There can be only two, a monster and a progeny. Oh. Or diviner and a progeny. Yeah? I mean, they have that. they have that look, that gothic look, right? So... 
Yeah, there, there you go. <laughs> I have to say, I feel kind of sorry for Chakotay because, I mean, he's in a ship that gets thrown across the galaxy and now he's in a ship that gets thrown back in time. <laughs> I mean, like, he's just getting really displaced from the places that he should be and the times he should be. Or maybe we need to look at the common element in all of these occurrences and... <laughs> <laughs> uh, by the way, I looked it up. Voyager's Endgame takes place, at least the sequences in the uh, past in Endgame mm-hmm. take place in 2378. So five years before Prodigy. Okay, takes five place. years. Uh, when was Nemesis actually? Because that by then, Jane was already 2379. Yeah, Maybe that's what go. I was thinking. The three years was after yeah. Nemesis. She right. becomes an admiral awfully fast, I feel. She got back and they're like, Admiral, immediately. Well, I, please, I mean, please, she, please don't throw any ships in 70,000 light years away. We're going to put yeah, you behind yeah, the I, desk. I, I feel like th- this was definitely like uh, all the other captains. It's like, oh, no, don't go. Don't let don't take don't leave the chair. Like, don't become a uh, you're going to just be at a desk. You're like, please like, give me done. a damn desk. I, I am done. I have explored enough. Do you know what it's like having 140 children for seven years? <laughs> I don't want to do that ever again. <laughs> um, well, okay. So, so we've 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 talked about the one. I guess the one element we should talk about here before we move on is there's probably going to be some timey wimey stuff. Uh, Chakotay in his in the in that final scene where we see him, one word that we hear him say very loudly is anomaly. So. We are probably looking at the protostar hitting some sort of anomaly, maybe the DMA. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Species is... NC is Chakotay. Um, <laughs> That's but... what the C stands for. Right there. Shit. We've cracked the code. That's why they couldn't show the second part of the first season or the fourth yeah, season. Yeah, they would spoil each other. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, Chakotay ended up outside the galaxy. <laughs> And he's slowly making his way home. Um, <laughs> anyway. Well, he's a god now, all... though, because he got uh, those... Uh, what was his name? Uh, Gary Mitchell? Power there you go. <laughs> oh, there you go. So he... Um, Chakotay and the Protostar hit an anomaly before something goes wrong. Presumably that thing is getting thrown into the past a few years which might end up being why the protostar drive isn't something that Starfleet is able to roll out to everybody because weird stuff happens if you go through an anomaly with it or something like that. There's mm-hmm. probably some explanation there, right? Uh, but go ahead. Yeah, I'll, I'll take your explanation for it. Yeah. It's eager to see how this um, unfolds. Um, I, I guess I'll do it in the next few episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, moving swiftly along, let's talk about, we've got in this episode, three different plots uh, using the characters. We've got Dahl in the holodeck with Jenkin Bog. I uh, wish I could hear what Bill has to say about Jenkin Bog after this. Um, we've got Murph and the, exp- the plasma grenades. <laughs> it's fantastic. Oh, I love that. <laughs> and then we've got Gwyn and her um, kind of mental state, and and then her exploration of the data later. So let's let's deal with Kobayashi Maru first, because um, I. Well, I'm just gonna leave it there. I'm gonna let you all kind of start with with this particular plot. 
I I feel a little bit validated that uh, that doll immediately horrifically failed it because <laughs> at, at least from, from our our estimation, just like uh, back, backseat captaining captaining as like audience members of the show, uh, it seems like doll is a bad captain, and this one at least gave us the measure of like yes, doll is a bad captain. He, he this is specifically how he is a bad captain, and uh, so I I think that. Um, Maybe this can start us along a more rapid route for him to become not quite so terrible. He it it does kind of seem like he forgets all of his lessons once he gets back with the crew. But uh, I think that there's going to be some something of this experience that like sort of helps him start building uh, a better self. At least he didn't kill the children like Rutherford did on the holodeck when he was uh, in command of a vessel. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think I think when I think about it, like they have these the, the primary bridge crew, the stereotypes are meant to be lessons for certain personalities of kids and dolls. Dolls meant for those kids who are you know kind of leap are leaping before looking. You know maybe <laughs> um, bullying other kids and having to introspect on what they did and and so that's that's pretty much how I see him, um, you know, being portrayed, considering his ability to captain, I mean, I, I think he's nowhere near those pre-cadets that Wesley, uh, you know, that, that episode with Wesley and, and, and these other uh, pre-cadets were trying to get into the academy. Remember, they had these mm-hmm. these tests. He's nowhere near, he's nowhere <laughs> near that. So forget mm-hmm. being a cadet, forget, you know, uh, taking... Um, the Kobayashi Maru test, um, but they're 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 connecting all of that for the um, uh, for the context of the show, so that so that's fine. Um, I wish they'd spent a little more time. I like I loved how um, the the holodeck simulation ended with all those wonderful characters and uh, paying homage to all of them. But in general, introducing them to a concept like the holodeck, I think they could have maybe done a little bit more with that. Played with that for an episode or two. Um, but I guess they went all out, um, and, and gave him a good, good set of people to try and solve a Kobayashi with. I, I, I mean, th- there's still plenty of time for them to get trapped in a Jane Eyre novel, uh, in a future <laughs> episode, so. <laughs> At least they didn't go to that freaking I- Fairhaven, Fairhaven Irish Jane is like, I want a Deadwood. They had Deadwood? They had Deadwood listed, and then I think they had, which was for, uh, Fistful of Datas, right? Isn't that where they were for Fistful of Datas? Mm. And then they had um, oh, the island, or what's the resort that they had, the Talaxian resort that they would go to a lot. I guess they had that one as one of the on the list, too. <laughs> That's um, funny. Apparently, there was a sequence in the Dixon Hill Hollow novel, which was cut for time as well. So maybe a deleted scene that we'll get later. Yeah. I, I, I think this episode showed the sheer power of animation so well in that yeah. holodeck sequence. And then the whole Kobayashi Maru thing. This is why it's so great to have animated Star Trek. We've seen Lower Decks giving us some of this. But I think the, the lack of seriousness in Lower Decks does kind of make it a little bit harder to give these heartfelt things whereas yeah having uhura spock beverly crusher and odo on the bridge was incredible i loved it i mean sure i could tell all the sound clips were weird and out of date but who cares right yeah and, and i and i think since it's like 
like in fiction it's on the holodeck and like this is a training program it's it, it makes you kind of accept all of the awkwardness of like how the characters are talking and whatnot which is like yeah i i absolutely loved that aspect of this i, I did i did want trip tucker though when he asked for an engineer or like maybe he gets Jordy, trip and scotty all together <laughs> it, it was very uh it, it, it felt like we were weighted a little bit uh uh in favor of Original older shows series. but yeah. uh yeah yeah, I I mean, I just, that was one of the other moments where I kind of had a little bit of like, my eyes got a little misty is when they brought back those four characters and when I heard them talking again on the screen yeah. and all working together on the bridge. It was, it was, it was really beautiful. I, 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 I've said this on the, you know, in my, when I wrote back to Aaron, uh, Walt Key on, on Reddit, I said this, but this, this might be a show for kids, but it made me feel like a kid again, watching Star Trek. Um, and I think that was the the Cole Kobayashi Maru sequence when you hear the like the guy from uh, the Wrath of Khan Kobayashi Maru like he's saying this is the Kobayashi Maru and you know like mm-hmm. introducing the sequence it just takes you back there were so many moments where I was just like this is this is this is why I watch Star Trek the, these memories that flood back when you see these characters when you see them when you see these sequences um, did you see the TNG Klingons <laughs> Yeah. Uh, back on screen it's beautiful I, I really liked it yeah and, and I think I, I agree with you that uh lower decks like they they could do some of this stuff but it, it's uh it feels like it might even get like feeling like borderline disrespectful to like start to to bring back like dead actors to then like insert right. like jokes into in around or whatnot because it, it I, I mean I know that lower decks has serious moments in it and and certainly touching moments of of the of in their episodes but it, it, something like this i think could only have happened in something like prodigy yeah yeah the, the way i think about it though is lord x is is adult focused humor to simplify the the seriousness that's built up around trek and and prodigy is more around introducing Trek to people and Mm -hmm. connecting them to pieces of information that they may not have. And then they will go explore and discover as they, you know, continue to, um, to, to, to go through their formative years. I I was just in my mind, I was comparing how Dal did this, what 99 times or a hundred times to Boimler doing that test. Yeah. His own test. And I I like the Boimler version way more, but I don't know if it's just me being an adult there, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. No, totally I, I, hints of Boimler in that, I thought. But, but Boimler is different, right? So, mm-hmm. in, at least in my mind, I, he's so different from Dahl. I, I did like that they eventually compared him to Kirk. Um, I don't know, Spock says, right, you remind me of um, another friend of mine, right? Um, using yeah. that famous line, but um, they do go ahead and do make that explicit comparison. Um, but yeah. And, I, and Dahl seems to like it. He likes that comparison that. You know what I mean? He's kind of like, hmm. you know, he kind of took it as a compliment too. I really wish they would they would just knock Dal down a few pegs so he's mm. not able to succeed. So it's not just a no win scenario, but he's not yeah. up to it. Like he's basically yeah. has to like actually accept that he's not good enough to be captain. And I hope that's where the series goes. Yeah, um, yeah. I keep expecting Gwyn to be captain. Me too. And yeah. if they're not positioning that. Um, I will not be upset, but I think it would be a missed opportunity. You see how they get us with multiple 
shows in Captain Dilemmas. It's just all over the place. <laughs> Who's going to be Captain? <laughs> uh, who Dal are you goes back on? to be an ambassador for his planet and Gwyn becomes a captain and then Dal comes back, he's also captain. <laughs> <laughs> Multi-threaded leadership. Yeah, yeah. A, a wise doll, I think, is is going to... That, that's going to take some writing to get me to accept something, <laughs> a, a path similar to Saru's. I did appreciate on this topic, Jenkum and the rest of the crew calling Dal out and being like, yes. it's unanimous oh, yeah. without you, buddy. Yeah, you know? I, the, you know? Yeah, that, that that was that was great seeing uh, uh, them starting to actually push back on him and, and also call out like, I mean, you're self-appointed captain. Uh Yeah. Yeah, and also, I want to go to the sure. Federation with them, but I guess maybe that might end the show because then they would be like, uh, you're a bunch of kids. You do not get to have a starship. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the prison we put Chakotay in. <laughs> Chakotay was in a juvenile prison or something like that. It just, um, I have to say the scene when, um, what is it? So uh, Dahl says something to the effect of, you know, we can't go back to the Federation. They're going to put us in prison. Or I can't remember what he said, but, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to get in trouble for stealing a starship. And I'm just like, this like hints of Harry Potter where they think they're going to get in trouble for things. You're like, if you just went to an adult, they would fix this. Like, <laughs> like this would not be an issue if you went to an adult. But because um, like, I, I mean, you know, I'm thinking there's no way they'd get in trouble for stealing the starship because they're not the ones that stole the starship in the first place place like and adults yeah. would know that yeah. so i mean one of them but, does make a point like hey we're refugees we can't get in trouble yeah exactly <laughs> yeah and it's jenkin pog that says yeah. that i think so <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah it's an unusually good point from him <laughs> <laughs> come on you know he's growing on you adam yes i mean uh, when he was ready to mutiny uh i was ready to mutiny too so uh, he, he's good in my book now <laughs> i did like the scene where they're all hiding behind that Arch oh, that was a on good the upper one. level of, of yeah. uh, the yeah. bridge, you know. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. I, I thought that might have actually worked, but it didn't. Um, <laughs> that was actually cool. Like Dal was just like, "There will be chaos, and that'll <laughs> that'll be how we win." And it's actually kind of creative, mm-hmm. uh, if you ask me. Um, yeah, the only reason he he doesn't win, it seems, is like he blows up the Enterprise himself. <laughs> But that that's so, so, so that's, that's the, the thing, right? Like it's it's basically the, the the computer cannot allow you to win. So whatever he had done next would obvi- like if he had just leaned uh, on like yeah, a yeah. wall panel, it would be the fire button would be right there. So it's 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 programmed not to let you win. But I think it's also way, kind of opinion. showing an aspect of Dal's personality that he really isn't fit to be captain because right. you know he just. His his response is to sit down and kick his feet up and, you know, ultimately stop being captain because that's not really what where his giftedness is. Yeah, we'll we'll have to see where they go. But I think all of us are pretty much in agreement that we want to see Dal not have me have to accept humility on his own end and mm-hmm. have to step aside gracefully. I have a question Maybe a question that I should don't answer to, but let's see what you guys think. So outside of uh, James Tiberius Kirk getting the highest score on the Kobayashi Maru, um, like, who else do you think did well? Like, was the test created in response to the 2009 um, situation with with um, his dad? Or like, I mean, 
if the test existed before that, then it couldn't have, right? Because Spock hadn't invented it in that universe yet. So and that's, for me, that's the did, best did rendition. Spock, did Spock invent it? I think in, in the, the 2009 yeah. Star Trek. 2009. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. But the way, um, um, the way Thor, um, <laughs> the way Thor, <laughs> The way the, the way Thor handled himself Kirk's in the final door. moments. Yeah. Kirk's Kirk's dad door. <laughs> James uh, Torbidius <laughs> Um handled himself. I think in my in my memories is the the exemplary manner in which one should function during a test like that. What do you all think? And I mean that's explicitly called out in that movie, right? Like, you know. Where, where Spock brings it up in the trial just to piss him off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, but was it designed in in relation to that? I don't know. Anyways, never mind. Um, I, I was just trying to see if there were people who actually did well, and there were examples of that that we remember or have been shown to us in um, Star Trek media. So the first mention of the Kobayashi Maru was in Wrath of Khan. It was mm-hmm. written for Star Trek Two, and I think. I don't remember seeing it very much in other series up until recently. And I don't think I've heard anyone in Enterprise mention it. So I think it's a pretty reasonable assumption that whenever Spock invented it in the alternate timelines, around when it came about in the prime timeline, we don't know if Spock invented it there. But that would be my assumption. I don't know what y'all think. Yeah, it seems reasonable to me. Uh, But, yeah. So... Um, the, in in Star Trek, there's a Star Trek Enterprise novel named Kobayashi Maru, based in 2155, and in it, there's a freighter carrying secret Starfleet equipment to a listening post in the neutral zone, and archers involved. So that, but that that's a that's a you know novelization that's questionably mm. canon. Um, mm. so. And and you could interpret that as basically because there's a line in Star Trek 2009 where the guy says like. He beat. How did he beat your test? You said no one could. Like it could be that Spock created a version of it, mm. rather than um, the the test itself. The original yeah, that's one. Okay. that's possible because I I had never um, uh, envisioned it as Spock had created it. I I my assumption was just that they were saying your test, meaning he's representing Starfleet, and also he was the administrator of the test at the time, um, but. Yeah, which can confer some sort of ownership. So we'll 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 hopefully continue. To, I mean, this is one of, I I find the Kobayashi Maru one of the more fascinating pieces of Star Trek lore. So every time it turns up, I I find it very exciting. Um, yeah, I also turned up I, twice in in, in one uh, year. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I mean the I still think that the best representation of it is in Wrath of Khan. I love. I love watching the entire cast like slowly all one by one get killed and then the door opens and Kirk walks through the mist. I mean, that is <laughs> iconic. Iconic. And then Bones lying on the ground with his like elbow <laughs> pitching up his head. Uh, yeah. Um, we're going to do a retro review of Wrath of Khan someday. That would be a, that would be a fun one. But anyway, um, getting back to this episode is a good moment also to mention that Prodigy seems to be coming very close to using previous episode titles 
Um, and same with Discovery. This this whole year of Star Trek, we've seen a lot of like almost recycled Star Trek episode titles: Kobayashi, Kobayashi Maru, Anomaly. Uh, so mm-hmm. I don't know what's happening. Whether this is like an intentional thing uh, among the different Star Trek creators, or there's but, over uh, 700 hours of Star Trek, so <laughs> it's inevitable that <laughs> titles are going to yeah. be reused. <laughs> right, right. Uh, <clears throat> reusing characters, reusing titles. You know, just remake Voyager, y'all. Uh, <laughs> anyway, well, let's take a break over here. We'll come back and talk about Gwen, talk about Murph, and maybe a little bit more. will find it many failed before years wasted even if the protostar is here then i will make a progeny no we cannot defy the order and if my species dies with me what of the order then an offspring is a liability emotions can be exploited it is a chance we are so close please do this for me Welcome back to Strange New Takes, where we've been talking about utility knives, packaging, you know, the kind of thing that really just lights a party on fire. <laughs> um, so uh, if, what, what, what tools do you use to your listener in your life? Let us know via social media. We'd be very excited. And you think I'm joking when I say that. I'm not. <laughs> anyway, getting back to Kobayashi and Star Trek Prodigy. Let's talk about... Uh, well, let's get this out of the way quickly. Murph is the character for little kids, right? Like little kids will watch Murph and get excited. Yep. And Emily just lit up. Yep, because that's the way my kid is. <laughs> He's like, Murph! <laughs> I'm like, oh, Dietrich, Murph's on the screen and he'll run over and watch. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> also sounds like the character now for um, crazy kids to try out not so safe stuff. Like, you know, <laughs> Mentos and Cobot. Mentos yeah. and Coke bottles. <laughs> or, or plasma grenades, Emily. Don't buy any plasma yeah, grenades. Yeah, I won't. Okay? I won't yeah. You yeah. got to put it in the Chakotay prison. If we you already had the issue with the plastic in the nose. So, you know. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Hopefully he's learned his lesson. <laughs> yeah, did he learn that from Merce? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's charming. It's a charming character. Definitely the one I understand the least and like don't know how I feel about. I mean, I don't feel negatively about Murph, but I'm just like, what's the point uh it, like I, narratively I'm, so i oh i'm i'm fully i'm fully into murph like i, I okay I, okay I, I every every time there. that there's a, yeah yeah every time that there's <laughs> like a um that there's a hologram or whatever and murph's just like eating the the planets or whatever in the star charts like <laughs> i love it <laughs> you know there's there's gonna be a scene sometime in the future where like they're all in big trouble and the diviner has them at phaser point or something like that, and Murph just slaps across the face of the diviner. Um, <laughs> I, th- so I think they're. I feel like they're also going to be shrunk down, like the like the defiant was at some point, and uh, uh, Murph is going to eat them. That would be. Uh, I feel like that. That's that's got to that's got to be in there somewhere. <laughs> well, and it was funny. There was a sound that Murph made that I didn't interpret the way the. Um, subtitles interpreted it but like the subtitle said fart sound and I was like oh. I didn't think that was a fart but anyway <laughs> so I thought that was funny too but um because I have to watch it with subtitles there's too many sounds happening in my house I can't hear anything anyone's saying but um the I I did was Murph smaller after the plasma grenades exploded did anyone else notice that, that he seemed to shrink did he get his color know. back 
He had like this he, different he, he shade. Like shrink, oh, well, I, I felt mean, like he, he shrank like down to a smaller size. I don't know, but maybe I can't remember if he went back to his I think regular it was just size. That he was kind of collapsed because he oh, okay. had just had a whole bunch of like plasma gas. <laughs> I mean, that's the fart sound. There you go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he is an escape hatch for if you have like an unpinned grenade or something and you don't know what to do with it. Just toss it in like Murph. Murph. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, and that I'm sure will, I mean, you, you know, I think maybe Emily or Rudy, I don't know which one of you just referenced that might come in critical for a um, for a piece of the plot. And so I, I fully expect that there is going to be some sort of, you know, you, this is like Chekhov's gun, right? Mm. If there's a gun shown in the first act of the play, it has to be shot in the third. And we've now seen Murph have this power. It's going to get used somewhere. Yeah. So it'll be it'll sure. be it'll be interesting. Um, Rock Dog had a slightly smaller role in this episode, but continues to be, I think, a just uh, adorable kind of you know the the emotion that Rock Dog shows is very evident. It's mm-hmm. kind of beautiful, and, yeah. and you know. How she's like, oh, you gotta help me in a plasma grenade. Like it's, it's, you know. One, how excited she was to see Gwen out of this, out of sick bay, and on, you know, like, oh, you left sick bay. You know, she's just so unabashedly sweet and honest yeah. and open. And I'd, I'd like to see her in the in the holodeck scenes or in the Kobayashi Maru side of things. I guess I would like to see anybody other than Dal there, but. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> but, but but yeah, maybe we'll see that later on. I also found that the the piece of this plot that kind of connected it to the other one, like you were just saying, Emily, uh, I, I found it wasn't quite as jarring. Sometimes with different plots in Star Trek, you have them kind of in their, you know, completely different universes and they kind of interfere with one another a little bit this one flowed very easily into into Gwyn and uh zero uh you know in sick bay and then going onto the bridge together i was also very touched by zero in this episode yeah zero i think is uh is definitely one of i mean it, it, there's so many good characters in the show but like zero i feel like uh steals most of the scenes that they're in uh where it's like we we get like a great sense of wonder from them but also having a good uh i i, I don't know that they're, like zero is just super wise feeling a lot of the time and i also like how um in the in the chat with gwen uh zero also zero isn't um doesn't like uh, sort of try to hide things or try to sugarcoat things to like make Gwen feel better. Like even says like I'm wondering why your dad uh, chose this ship over you, and like that that seems like a, a kind of a devastating thing to to bring up. But it like it it lent an honesty to the conversation that uh, I don't know it really worked for me. You know it's funny. So I mean my kid is not very old. He's three. He's almost four. And we were watching, mm. and he says, "Mommy, zero understands." And I was like, well, that's kind of a, you know, and, I just, and so I paused it and I was like, well, what does zero understand? And I can't remember what it was particularly. It was, it was a scene that was on the bridge, but, um, yeah. but he was, I mean, he was just kind of pointing out that zero seemed to know what was going on and, and kind of had some insight. And I was like, well, that's kind of cool that my little, you know, clearly this show was written for someone older than my kid, but you know, it's, it's the one Star Trek that's made for kids. So it's the one I'm watching with him. But 
Well, I, you know, there's, there's those shows that I remember watching as a kid that were kid shows, which as a kid I didn't understand, but it yeah. adds some complexity later when you're able to then, you know, uh, come come in and be like, you know, I, I liked this part of the show when I was a kid and now I'm, it's like TNG actually, yeah. which was not a kid show. I remember actually watching that like Wesley Crusher dancing in the gardens episode, you know, where he gets sentenced to death <laughs> as like a toddler, yeah. which... Maybe not the best episode for your children, dear listener. Well, my kid but loves Doomsday Machine, so, you know. There you go. <laughs> I, I, I just, I guess my, my point there is just that I, I wonder if there's going to be a generation of folks Dietrich's age who grow up with Prodigy. Mm-hmm. I hope there is, who just then appreciate it and older Star Trek more because of it, because they've now got this like element of like Spock and I know Dietrich doesn't like Spock, <laughs> but uh, you know, Crusher, they've seen these other elements, so they maybe have some sort of nostalgic attachment, which allows them to then go back and watch the other stuff later. Yeah, yeah. It just makes me very hopeful for Star Trek yeah. and the it makes me so happy that they've made this show I didn't expect to say this I, I probably on some episode of this podcast before there's me saying I don't know a kid Star Trek who knows like maybe it'll suck that's oh, what I sure. was thinking and I was so wrong <laughs> yeah I, I, this is the this is the the biggest shift in like expectations and reality that I've I've felt with Star Trek ever yeah I, I just feel CGI and anime are are better for Star Trek in in the in the present um, across the board, um, but but going back to connects between Prodigy and Discovery, so we did what did we do? We did Saru, Dal, uh, Burnham, Gwen. Are we doing Zora Zero? Sorry, I just had to say that. <laughs> I mean, you you do you do have some elements of that, right? Like, is this the non corporealness? You have the like knowledge robotic, base, right? And and the mind reading. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. Zora is able to uh, Zero is able to scan people's minds not Gwyn's but uh, is able to read thoughts or emo- I forget is it thoughts or emotions I can't remember now I think thoughts I yeah, I th- yeah thoughts because uh, uh, like. there's something like uh, oh I won't I won't examine your thoughts too closely uh, doll because I guess I don't know if that was like a sex joke or something or <laughs> I was reading some commentary that 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 the uh, Dal's reaction to them catching him playing the game was kind of like a, you know, a, when you walk into a boy's room who's that age and he kind of had that kind of reaction. And I was like, oh, why did you have to put that in my head? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> is, is that going to be like a, a, a analogy for birds and bees? Like being cars like. Cones and discs. <laughs> You're playing the Katarian game too much, doll. Well, you know, always go and play that you know game in your room. Interesting though. So he was playing that game at the beginning, and then he was almost he played the Kobayashi Maru simulation in an almost addictive way. Um, mm. You know, so it was just kind of that. I don't know. I felt like maybe there was a connection there. He was terrible at the cone and disc game, right? Like it was just no. I mean, they showed it for just like five yeah. seconds, but. And I mean, for, for listeners who maybe haven't watched Star Trek The Next Generation as closely, the, that is the Katarian game that the whole ship gets addicted to because it's been programmed by the Itana to be uh, help them take over Starfleet. I guess the game itself is not addictive. It's some element within the reprogramming by the Itana that, that makes it addictive. Mm-hmm. Then if, if Dal is able to play it without uh, getting affected. But... Um, 
getting getting back to Gwyn and and Zero, um, we get that flashback because of this storyline of the diviner saying that he's the last of his species, the Wawaunikat. Um, there's some sort of challenge, uh, discussion needed to convince um, the robot whose name I'm not forgetting to allow Dreadnought to to allow the diviner to create his progeny, which occurs through some sort of um, uh, cellular extraction. Yeah, right. Vat yeah. based process, so probably some sort of genetic scrambling. So it's not a direct copy. It's very interesting because it, it seems like the Diviner is implying that he's only able to be allowed to reproduce if he's going to die. Um, mm. But then there's an implication that the Valnikar are some sort of species or are they an order within the species? I, I don't know. I, yeah, I just, it, it's it was very the, confusing. The subtitles were, were capitalizing like the order and... So it, it, it seemed like maybe there is like some sort of council that's happening or... Uh, because I I think like the, in the first uses there was sort of like oh there is an order that we can't cross but it also feels like that like this order are, is a group of people but I don't know if they are Vaunacot or or maybe the Vaunacot have been replaced by their by the robots that they created uh, mm-hmm. but I I don't know it's it is definitely setting up a lot of mystery for I'm, the sharp, I assume we'll find out more the sharp features the the the, the nature of their name. Does that give you the um, sense of a little bit of Vulcan Romulan uh, relation, or do you think they're just completely independent? I mean, we uh, wouldn't Delta watch Quadrant. this show unless the Diviner was Spock's brother. So, <laughs> uh, I, I think you have something there. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, we'll uh, we'll I guess we'll see more about this later. A piece of the mystery that this relates to is that. The encrypted files on the protostar are are written in the language of the diviner species. Yeah, which which Gwyn has to then decode, which then allows them to get the data that shows Chakotay at the end. So there's there's I mean I think they're doing a good job of setting up a mystery in my opinion. I'm very curious about it. So is this is this possibly one of the few series that touches all four quadrants? Starts in the Delta, goes to Gamma. Um, there's a weird Romulan connection for the beta quadrant, and then they end up in the alpha. Who knows? Um, yeah, I, I think the, you have a ship that's fast enough. I think there's a. Uh, it seems reasonable that we want to sort of go everywhere. The grand tour. So the interesting thing for me is that Prodigy seems to have a lot of episodes. Um, it's going to do, I think, five before Discovery comes back now. So they'll have mm-hmm. another mid-season hiatus. And there seemed to be another, I think, was it 10 episodes? Uh, yeah, that I are think com- it's 10 more, yeah, in right. season one. So that's a lot of time to see these kids do a lot of different things. So I'm just kind of curious about how many seasons the show is going to go and where they're going to get to. Because there's, you know, at some point they got to get the ship back and now the ship can travel 4,000 light years at a stretch. Like... It's going to be interesting how they make all of that work within the timeline and where we end up. Because you got to have these kids like grow up and not be kids anymore. That kind of defeats the yeah. point of the show in mm. some ways. Well, and what's also interesting is like with how much they're drawing it out, like they, they have five episodes and then they have like another show for a while and then they do five more episodes. And if there's 20 episodes, like the, theoretically, like if they're already done making those episodes, like they could season two of this could come out like 
a couple of months after season one ends or something like that, depending on how they do the schedule, which is just like an intriguing concept of a, um, like a, a perpetual Star Trek show that doesn't have uh, clear stopping points. Something interesting that I've seen on in, uh, the, uh, the internet, let's just put it that way, mm. uh, is, is that Billy Campbell will return as the outrageous Okana in Prodigy at some point. <laughs> so he'll be so, in Lower Decks and in because wasn't he in yeah. Lower Decks also or at least the character was yeah he was at that party mm-hmm. uh, that, yeah I don't that, know if he did, did he have any lines or was he just like, like uh, wasn't he the DJ yeah, yeah he was the DJ uh, I don't know if the actor was doing the voice or not um so there seem this apparently was in the uh in a, he says this in a podcast I'm not going to give you all spoilers because I, I don't want to do that. I think it'll set expectations wrongly if, if he was if he's not right or whatever. So let's just let's just see what happens. Um, but yeah, so so clearly, but my point with this is clearly they're not they're going to go close to the Alpha Quadrant at some reason at some mm-hmm. point. Otherwise, the outrageous Okana wouldn't be encountering them randomly, you know. So um, we'll see. We'll see. I I did resist the temptation to freeze frame on all the data flying by to try and identify everything and see what if there are any easter eggs we did see a lot of the older star trek com badges in there there are some easter eggs on the panels in the enterprise d holodeck recreation for example the one on the captain's chair has all the codes for the tng crew's names um so this Mm. episode might be one where you get you pause and try to read things if you if you so wish um as well but I think I think that's about it for um, for for the story. Unless y'all have more things that y'all have to discuss. Well, they're definitely still trying. They're kind of teasing a potential, I feel, relationship between Dal and um, Gwen, because you know he mm. when he goes into sick bay, you know he's like, oh well, I only we only waited for you or or got you because Janeway wouldn't let us leave unless we had everybody. But then later on, isn't it? Jenkins Pog says. Um, you know, well, Dow's the reason that we got you off the planet or something like it's kind of and she her expression kind of changes like, oh, OK, so he did. He did want to save me kind of thing. Mm, yeah. So I feel like he's in that. Yeah. So, and, and I guess I, I like that better than that. Dow is is such a bad captain that he uh, he like lets a crew member know that she's worthless to him. I know that was <laughs> but that's and that's just an example of him being an adolescent boy. Like, yeah, I don't yeah. like you. I'm going to hit you. <laughs> you know, like, like they oh. are children. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say Gwyn is 17, by the way, speaking of age, which is, I mean, again, I think this is a, she oh, might be yeah. the oldest person on this crew, which again, sets her up kind of nicely to be the mm-hmm. captain. I don't know. You know, maybe let her do this. Yeah. <laughs> what are you going to say, Rudy? I uh, got distracted by what you were saying and, and made another Star Wars analogy in terms of uh, age differences in, in pairings between people. Um, with the good old Anakin and his Bad new wife. Yeah. <laughs> um, so basically, yeah, I, Dahl is going to turn into the Borg. <laughs> uh, is is uh, the way you're putting it. Yeah, basically. Um, 
I, I, there was one thing I wanted to mention. That we 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 had a discussion last uh, episode trying to figure out like is it Andor or Andoria, <laughs> and this episode just answered it for us uh, because it's Andoria Four that uh, that the holodeck simulation yeah. is on <laughs> to start out with. They were listening to our podcast right. and retroactively yeah, so. added it. There we go. We are we are famous for sure. All right, so. With that, it's time for us to stick our necks out and give this episode a rating. So which of you would like to go first? So I think uh, I, I've definitely been giving some pretty high scores to some episodes. Uh, I, I think I'm going to try to understand, like Prodigy is such a good show that I need to like put in like real world uh <laughs> ratings and not not like the start put on my star trek glasses in order to take off uh, the kid gloves huh or, or put put on my star trek com badge in order be to be careful uh, it's gonna it. make it look like you like discovery more than you like prodigy yeah. <laughs> if you take a look oh, at yeah. About but, the so, I, so this this one if it was in discovery would be a 10 this this is prodigy though so this is this one's a nine uh and the, the only reason that it's a nine i think is because th- there was some awkwardness around like like I know that Leonard Nimoy didn't actually record these lines and like some of the lines like or, or rather that he didn't that like they weren't for this situation and sometimes it sounded it felt like Spock was saying something kind of irrelevant um to what was happening so and there was a huge I, age I, there was just like some in his... yeah there, there's like just some uh yeah that's that's fair is what we have i think we have some stuff from 2009 yeah. and we have stuff in uh wrath of khan yeah. and whatnot oh and in in uh, 1967 or whatever too yeah yes. yeah so it's it's uh yeah it's it it leads to some awkward moments in the episode that i felt like were a little bit distracting but in universe it's fine because it's the holodeck so uh but it, it gets a nine for me but everything else is phenomenal i i have studied program evaluation in grad school and part of that course was making rating scales and like scales to like judge health outcomes um suffice it to say i have done some academic work on on ratings and your scales make me want to cry everybody (laughs) (laughs) it is just well you know it's so funny so i listened to um uh, the Delta Flyers, which is Robbie Duncan McNeil and Garrett Wong talking about Voyager episodes. And they'll be like, oh, yeah, uh-huh. I really like this episode. It was great. And what are you going to get? What score are you going to give it? I think I'll give it a seven. And I'm like, I would never give an episode that I say this is a great episode, a seven. You know, so it, it's just it's interesting. <laughs> Everyone has their own version of <laughs> of uh, scale. For sure. And I, I am also probably cheapening the scale a little bit. Really, if you're creating a like that, by the way, a great example of a really shit scale is how a lot of companies use what's called a net promoter score, which is there's a single question which asks, will you recommend this product or company to somebody else rated on a scale of one to 10? And that is basically in marketing, the thematic element has been to go from many, many ratings to just that one. Like if you've gone to a restroom and you've you know seen those four little buttons that have like smiley faces going mm-hmm. to a very angry face, it's the same use of a net promoter score. Anyway, the point is a lot of companies use those to be like, unless you give us a 10, it is bad. Every other yeah. outcome other than a 10 is, a, is bad, which is not the way scales are supposed to work. Um, I'm going to try to go not go too deep into behavioral economics here, but really the point is we should all, including me, be like, 
but then is a holy grail. It is not something that is cheaply given. It is something where it is true perfection, which really truly should be unattainable. Really the highest rating all of us should give us a 9.99 <laughs> and never go like to a 10. Like warp 10. 10. Is that it being... we're supposed to go yeah, to warp 10 because we'll yeah. turn into a salamander? Exactly. So we should have so much care about a 10 rating that an 11 rating should be unthinkable. That being said, this is an 11 out of 10 for me because this was just so good. <laughs> I, I enjoyed it immensely. I, I just thought these guys outdid themselves. They outdid Star Trek. I, I don't... Let's just put it this way. This is an episode I will put on again and again if I'm feeling bad and I just need some popcorn Star Trek. This is the one I'm going to. Not Lower Decks. Not Voyager, not anything. This is an episode which doesn't require any emotional investment. It just makes you happy. It gives you a bunch of like good feels. And I loved it. <laughs> All right. Hard to follow from that. Um, I I have, I have a similar uh, sense in terms of, you know, this series being, being of a generally higher baseline quality that we, 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 we may... We find ourselves hard pressed to give it crazy ratings. Um, otherwise, we'll have to start going into like 12 out of 10, 11 out of 10, 13 out of 10. <laughs> um, Slowly go to They, they, they did sometimes scale. go to like warp 15, I think, in the yeah. original series. So yeah. uh, we can just, we can rescale things. <laughs> I, I will give it eight, eight failed attempts at Kobayashi Maru out of 10. Um, because I think it it did have a lot of the nostalgia. It 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 moved the story along. It created a lot of intrigue around the location of the proto star and, and where it might end up. And um, these are all good good hooks for people for people to to look forward to the next episode. Um, so yeah, yeah, onward and forward, prodigy. I'm gonna give this a four point five because I had a big old crush on Chakotay when I was younger, and it was really nice to see him again. <laughs> so is that Chakote or Chakote? Which one? Both. Both. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, it's time for me to say thank you, Adam. Thank you, Emily. Thank you, Rudy, for talking Star Trek with me. I watched this, and I was about to go to our Slack channel and be like, I want so many feelings. And I was like, wait, hold it for the pod. <laughs> we get to talk about talk about it with them there so i'm glad we could do that for the yes, last hour thanks so. notch yeah thanks notch thanks, for notch. talking star trek with us yep. thank you bill thank you dinah thank you max wherever y'all are whatever it is y'all are doing today hope it's a great time thank you dear listener for listening to us and making us part of your week we always appreciate that you that you allow us to speak in your ears for just a little while Thank you, Jishnu Guha, for our theme music. It might not be as good as Prodigy's, but it's pretty good. So thanks for recording that for us. And uh, you know what, man? I'm going to go with a sincere one here. Special thanks to Aaron J. Walkie. You're doing a great job, buddy. Uh, I, I don't know if there are other writers who've written episodes, because I forget now. And But Prodigy crew, all of you, special thanks. It is wonderful to watch your show. So uh, we'll 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 keep doing that next week. We'll come back with next a recap for next week. See everybody. Bye. 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 Bye.